This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Captain Blood by Raphael Sabatini. Chapter 19 The Meeting. As the door slammed after the departing Admiral, Lord Julian turned to Arabella and actually smiled. He felt that he was doing better, and gathered from it an almost childish satisfaction, childish in all the circumstances. "'Decidedly, I think I had the last word there,' he said, with a toss of his golden ringlets. Miss Bishop, seated at the cabin-table, looked at him steadily, without returning his smile. "'Does it matter, then, so much having the last word? I am thinking of those poor fellows on the Royal Mary. Many of them have had their last word indeed.' And for what? A fine ship sunk, a score of lives lost, thrice that number now in jeopardy, and all for what? You are overwrought, ma'am, I— Overwrought! She uttered a single sharp note of laughter. Ha! Huh. I assure you I am calm. I am asking you a question, Lord Julian. Why has this Spaniard done all this? To what purpose? You heard him. Lord Julian shrugged angrily. Bloodlust, he explained shortly. Bloodlust, she asked. She was amazed. Does such a thing exist, then? It is insane, monstrous. Fiendish, his lordship agreed. Devil's work. I don't understand. At Bridgetown three years ago there was a Spanish raid, and things were done that should have been impossible to men, horrible, revolting things which strain belief, which seem, when I think of them now, like the illusions of some evil dream. Are men just beasts? Men, said Lord Julian, staring. Say Spaniards, and I'll agree. He was an Englishman speaking of hereditary foes, and yet there was a measure of truth in what he said. This is the Spanish way in the New World. Faith almost it justifies such men as blood of what they do. She shivered as if in cold and setting her elbows on the table, she took her chin in her hands and sat staring before her. Observing her, his lordship noticed how drawn and white her face had grown. There was reason enough for that, and for worse. Not any other woman of his acquaintance would have preserved her self-control in such an ordeal, and of fear at least, at no time had Miss Bishop shown any sign. It is impossible that he did not find her admirable." A Spanish steward entered bearing a silver chocolate service and a box of Peruvian candies, which he placed on the table before the lady. "'With the Admiral's homage,' he said, and then bowed and withdrew. Miss Bishop took no heed of him or his offering, but continued to stare before her, lost in thought. Lord Julian took a turn in the long low cabin, which was lighted by a skylight above and great square windows astern. It was luxuriously appointed. There were rich eastern rugs on the floor. Well-filled bookcases stood against the bulkheads, and there was a carved walnut sideboard laden with silverware. On a long, low chest standing under the middle stern port lay a guitar that was gay with ribbons. Lord Julian picked it up, twanged the strings once as if moved by nervous irritation, and put it down. He turned again to face Miss Bishop. "'I came out here,' he said, "'to put down piracy. But, blister me, I begin to think that the French are right in desiring piracy to continue as a curb upon these Spanish scoundrels. He was to be strongly confirmed in that opinion before many hours were passed. Meanwhile, their treatment at the hands of Don Miguel was considerate and courteous. It confirmed the opinion, 
contemptuously expressed to his lordship by Miss Bishop, that since they were to be held to ransom they need not fear any violence or hurt. A cabin was placed at the disposal of the lady and her terrified woman, and another at Lord Julian's. They were given the freedom of the ship, and bidden to dine at the Admiral's table. Nor were his further intentions regarding them mentioned, nor yet his immediate destination. The Milagrosa, with her consort the Hidalga rolling after her, steered a south by westerly course, then veered to the southeast round Cape Tiburon, and thereafter, standing well out to sea, with the land no more than a cloudy outline to larboard, she headed directly east, and so ran straight into the arms of Captain Blood, who was making for the windward passage, as we know. That happened early on the following morning. After having systematically hunted his enemy in vain for a year, Don Miguel chanced upon him in this unexpected and entirely fortuitous fashion. But that is the ironic way of fortune. It was also the way of fortune that Don Miguel should thus come upon the Arabella at a time when, separated from the rest of the fleet, she was alone and at a disadvantage. It looked to Don Miguel as if the luck which so long had been on Blood's side had at last veered in his own favour. Miss Bishop, newly risen, had come out to take the air on the quarter-deck with his lordship in attendance, as you would expect of so gallant a gentleman, when she beheld the big red ship that had once been the Cinco Yagas out of Cadiz. The vessel was bearing down upon them, her mountains of snowy canvas bellying forward, the long pennon with the cross of St. George fluttering from her main truck in the morning breeze, the gilded portholes in her red hull and the gilded beak-head aflash in the morning sun. Miss Bishop was not to recognize this for that same Cinco Yagas which she had seen once before, on a tragic day in Barbados three years ago. To her it was just a great ship that was heading resolutely, majestically towards them, and an Englishman to judge by the pennon she was flying. The sight thrilled her curiously. It awoke in her an uplifting sense of pride that took no account of the danger to herself in the encounter that must now be inevitable. Beside her on the poop, whither they had climbed to obtain a better view, and equally arrested and at gaze, stood Lord Julian. But he shared none of her exultation. He had been in his first sea-fight yesterday, and he felt that experience would suffice him for a very considerable time. This, I insist, is no reflection upon his courage. "'Look!' said Miss Bishop, pointing, and to his infinite amazement he observed that her eyes were sparkling. Did she realize, he wondered, what was afoot? Her next sentence resolved his doubt. She is English, and she comes resolutely on. She means to fight. God help her, then, said his lordship gloomily. Her captain must be mad. What can he hope to do against such heavy hulks as these? If they could so easily blow the Royal Mary out of the water, what will they do to this vessel? Look at that devil Don Miguel. He's utterly disgusting in his glee. From the quarter-deck, where he moved amid the frenzy of preparation, the admiral had turned to flash a backward glance at his prisoners. His eyes were alight, his face transfigured. He flung out an arm to point to the advancing ship, and bawled something in Spanish that was lost to them in the noise of the laboring crew. They advanced to the poop-rail, and watched the bustle. Telescope in hand on the quarter-deck, Don Miguel was issuing his orders. Already the gunners were kindling their matches. Sailors were aloft, taking in sail. Others were spreading a stout rope net above the waist, as a protection against falling spars. And meanwhile Don Miguel had been signaling to his consort, in response to which the Hidalga had drawn steadily forward until she was now a beam of the Milagrosa, half cable's length to starboard, 
and from the height of the tall poop my lord and Miss Bishop could see her own bustle of preparation, and they could discern signs of it now aboard the advancing English ship as well. She was furling tops and mainsail, stripping in fact to mizzen and sprit for the coming action. Thus, almost silently without challenge or exchange of signals, the action had been mutually determined. Of necessity now, under diminished sail, the advance of the Arabella was slower, but it was none the less steady. She was already within saker shot, and they could make out the figures stirring on her forecastle and the brass guns gleaming on her prow. The gunners of the Milagrosa raised their linstocks and blew upon their smouldering matches, looking impatiently up at the Admiral. But the Admiral solemnly shook his head. "'Patience!' he exhorted them. "'Save your fire until we have him. He's coming straight to his doom, straight to the yardarm and the rope that have been so long waiting for him.' "'Stab me!' said his lordship. "'This Englishman may be gallant enough to accept battle against such odds, but there are times when discretion is a better quality than gallantry in a commander.' "'Gallantry will often win through, even against overwhelming strength,' said Miss Bishop. He looked at her, and noted in her bearing only excitement. Of fear he could still discern no trace. His lordship was past amazement. She was not by any means the kind of woman to which life had accustomed him. "'Presently,' he said, "'you will suffer me to place you under cover.' "'I can see best from here,' she answered him, and added quietly, "'I am praying for this Englishman. He must be very brave.' Under his breath Lord Julian damned the fellow's bravery. The Arabella was advancing now along a course which, if it continued, must carry her straight between the two Spanish ships. My lord pointed it out. "'He's crazy, surely,' he cried. "'He's driving straight into a death-trap. He'll be crushed to splinters between the two. No wonder that black-faced Don is holding his fire. In his place I should do the same.' But even at that moment the admiral raised his hand. In the waist below him a trumpet blared, and immediately the gunner on the prow touched off his guns. As the thunder of them rolled out, his lordship saw ahead beyond the English ship and to larboard of her two heavy splashes. Almost at once two successive spurts of flame leapt from the brass cannon on the Arabella's beakhead, and scarcely had the waters on the poop seen the shower of spray, where one of the shots struck the water near them. Then, with a rending crash and a shiver that shook the Milagrosa from stem to stern, the other came to lodge in her forecastle. To avenge that blow, the Hidalga blazed at the Englishman with both her forward guns. But even at that short range, between two and three hundred yards, neither shot took effect. At a hundred yards the Arabella's forward guns, which had meanwhile been reloaded, fired again at the Milagrosa, and this time smashed her bowsprit to splinters, so that for a moment she yawed wildly to port. Don Miguel swore profanely, and then, as the helm was put over to swing her back to her course, his own prow replied. But the aim was too high and whilst one of the shots tore through the Arabella's shrouds and scarred her mainmast, the other again went wide, and when the smoke of that discharge had lifted, the English ship was found almost between the Spaniards, her bows in line with theirs, and coming steadily on into what his lordship deemed a death-trap. Lord Julian held his breath, and Miss Bishop gasped, clutching the rail before her. She had a glimpse of the wickedly grinning face of Don Miguel, and the grinning faces of the men at the guns in the waist. At last the Arabella was right between the Spanish ships prow to poop and poop to prow. Don Miguel spoke to the trumpeter, who had mounted the quarter-deck and stood now at the admiral's elbow. 
The man raised the silver bugle that was to give the signal for the broadsides of both ships. But even as he placed it to his lips, the admiral seized his arm to arrest him. Only then had he perceived what was so obvious, or should have been to an experienced sea-fighter. He had delayed too long, and Captain Blood had outmaneuvered him. In attempting to fire now upon the Englishman, the Milagrosa and her consort would also be firing into each other. Too late he ordered his helmsman to put the tiller hard over and swing the ship to larboard, as a preliminary to maneuvering for a less impossible position of attack. At that very moment the Arabella seemed to explode as she swept by. Eighteen guns from each of her flanks emptied themselves at that point-blank range into the hulls of the two Spanish vessels. Half stunned by that reverberating thunder, and thrown off her balance by the sudden lurch of the ship under her feet, Miss Bishop hurtled violently against Lord Julian, who kept his feet only by clutching the rail on which he had been leaning. Billowing clouds of smoke to starboard blotted out everything, and its acrid odour, taking them presently in the throat, set them gasping and coughing. From the grim confusion and turmoil in the waste below arose a clamour of fierce Spanish blasphemies and the screams of maimed men. The Milagrosa staggered slowly ahead, a gaping rent in her bulwarks. Her foremast was shattered, fragments of the yards hanging in the netting spread below. Her beakhead was in splinters, and a shot had smashed through into the great cabin, reducing it to wreckage. Don Miguel was bawling orders wildly, and peering over and anon through the curtain of smoke that was drifting slowly astern, in his anxiety to ascertain how it might have fared with the Hidalga. Suddenly, and ghostly at first through that lifting haze, loomed the outline of a ship. Gradually the lines of her red hull became more and more sharply defined as she swept nearer with poles all bare save for the spread of canvas on her sprit. Instead of holding her to course as Don Miguel had expected she would, the Arabella had gone about under cover of the smoke, and sailing now in the same direction as the Milagrosa, was converging sharply upon her across the wind, and so sharply that almost before the frenzied Don Miguel had realized the situation his vessel staggered under the rending impact with which the other came hurtling alongside. There was a rattle and clank of metal as a dozen grapnels fell, and tore and caught in the timbers of the Milagrosa and the Spaniard was firmly gripped in the tentacles of the English ship. Beyond her, and now well astern, the veil of smoke was rent at last, and the Hidalga was revealed in desperate case. She was bilging fast, with an ominous list to larboard, and it could be no more than a question of moments before she settled down. The attention of her hands was being entirely given to a desperate endeavour to launch the boats in time. Of this Don Miguel's anguished eyes had no more than a fleeting but comprehensive glimpse before his own decks were invaded by a wild, yelling swarm of boarders from the grappling ship. Never was confidence so quickly changed into despair. Never was Hunter more swiftly converted into helpless prey. For helpless the Spaniards were. The swiftly executed boarding maneuver had caught them almost unawares in the moment of confusion following the punishing broadside they had sustained at such short range. For a moment there was a valiant effort by some of Don Miguel's officers to rally the men for a stand against these invaders. But the Spaniards, never at their best in close-quarter fighting, were here demoralized by knowledge of the enemies with whom they had to deal. Their hastily formed ranks were smashed before they could be steadied, driven across the waist to the break of the poop on the one side, and up to the forecastle bulkheads on the other. The fighting resolved itself into a series of skirmishes between groups. And whilst this was doing above, 
Another horde of buccaneers swarmed through the hatch to the main deck below to overpower the gun-crews at their stations there. On the quarter-deck, towards which an overwhelming wave of buccaneers was sweeping, led by a one-eyed giant, who was naked to the waist, stood Don Miguel, numbed by despair and rage. Above and behind him on the poop, Lord Julian and Miss Bishop looked on, his lordship aghast at the fury of this cooped-up fighting, the lady's brave calm conquered at last by horror so that she reeled there sick and faint. Soon, however, the range of that brief fight was spent. They saw the banner of Castile come fluttering down from the masthead. A buccaneer had slashed the halyard with his cutlass. The boarders were in possession, and on the upper deck groups of disarmed Spaniards stood huddled now like herded sheep. Suddenly Miss Bishop recovered from her nausea, to lean forward, staring wild-eyed, whilst, if possible, her cheeks turned yet a deadlier hue than they had already been. Picking his way daintily through the shambles in the waist came a tall man with a deeply tanned face that was shaded by a Spanish headpiece. He was armed in back and breast of black steel beautifully damascened with golden arabesques. Over this, like a stole, he wore a sling of scarlet silk, from each end of which hung a silver-mounted pistol. Upon the broad companion to the quarter-deck he came, toying with easy assurance, until he stood before the Spanish admiral. Then he bowed stiff and formally. A crisp, metallic voice, speaking perfect Spanish, reached those two spectators on the poop, and increased the admiring wonder in which Lord Julian had observed the man's approach. "'We meet again at last, Don Miguel,' it said. "'I hope you are satisfied. Although the meeting may not be exactly as you pictured it, at least it has been very ardently sought and desired by you. Speechless, livid of face, his mouth distorted and his breathing laboured, Don Miguel de Espinosa received the irony of a man to whom he attributed his ruin and more beside. Then he uttered an inarticulate cry of rage, and his hand swept to his sword. But even as his fingers closed upon the hilt, the others closed upon his wrist to arrest the action. Calm, Don Miguel, he was quietly but firmly enjoined. Do not recklessly invite the ugly extremes such as you would, yourself, have practised had the situation been reversed. A moment they stood looking into each other's eyes. What do you intend by me? the Spaniard inquired at last, his voice hoarse. Captain Blood shrugged. The firm lips smiled a little. All that I intend has been already accomplished and lest it increase your rancour, I beg you to observe that you have brought it entirely upon yourself. You would have it so. He turned and pointed to the boats, which his men were heaving from the boom amidships. Your boats are being launched. You are at liberty to embark in them with your men before we scuttle this ship. Yonder are the shores of Hispaniola. You should make them safely. And if you'll take my advice, sir, you'll not hunt me again. I think I am unlucky to you. Get you home to Spain, Don Miguel, and to concerns that you understand better than this trade of the sea. For a long moment the defeated admiral continued to stare his hatred in silence. Then, still without speaking, he went down the companion, staggering like a drunken man, his useless rapier clattering behind him. His conqueror, who had not even troubled to disarm him, watched him go, then turned and faced those two immediately above him on the poop. Lord Julian might have observed, had he been less taken up with other things, that the fellow seemed suddenly to stiffen, and that he turned pale under his deep tan. A moment he stood at gaze. 
Then, suddenly and swiftly, he came up the steps. Lord Julian stood forward to meet him. "'You don't mean, sir, that you'll let that Spanish scoundrel go free?' he cried. The gentleman in the black corselet appeared to become aware of his lordship for the first time. "'And who the devil may you be?' he asked, with a marked Irish accent. "'And what business may it be of yours at all?' His lordship conceived that the fellow's truculence and utter lack of proper deference must be corrected. "'I am Lord Julian Wade,' he announced, with that object. Apparently the announcement made no impression. "'Are you indeed? Then perhaps you'll explain what the plague you're doing aboard this ship?' Lord Julian controlled himself to afford the desired explanation. He did so shortly and impatiently. "'He took you prisoner, did he? Along with Miss Bishop there?' "'You are acquainted with Miss Bishop?' cried his lordship, passing from surprise to surprise. But this mannerless fellow had stepped past him, and was making a leg to the lady, who on her side remained unresponsive and forbidding to the point of scorn. Observing this, he turned to answer Lord Julian's question. "'I had that honour once,' said he. "'But it seems that Miss Bishop has a shorter memory.' His lips were twisted into a wry smile, and there was pain in the blue eyes that gleamed so vividly under his black brows, pain blending with the mockery of his voice. But of all this it was the mockery alone that was perceived by Miss Bishop. She resented it. "'I do not number thieves and pirates among my acquaintance, Captain Blood,' said she, whereupon his lordship exploded in excitement. "'Captain Blood!' he cried. "'Are you Captain Blood?' "'What else were you supposing?' Blood asked the question wearily, his mind on other things. I do not number thieves and pirates among my acquaintance. The cruel phrase filled his brain, re-echoing and reverberating there. But Lord Julian would not be denied. He caught him by the sleeve with one hand, whilst the other he pointed after the retreating, dejected figure of Don Miguel. Do I understand that you are not going to hang that Spanish scoundrel? What for should I be hanging him? "'Because he's just a damned pirate, as I can prove, as I have proved already.' "'Ah!' said Blood, and Lord Julian marvelled at the sudden haggardness of a countenance that had been so devil-may-care but a few moments since. "'I am a damned pirate myself, and so I am merciful with my kind. Don Miguel goes free.' Lord Julian gasped. "'After what I've told you that he has done, after his sinking of the Royal Mary—' "'After his treatment of me, of us!' Lord Julian protested indignantly. "'I am not in the service of England or of any nation, sir, "'and I am not concerned with any wrongs her flags may suffer.' His lordship recoiled before the furious glance that blazed at him out of Blood's haggard face. But the passion faded as swiftly as it had arisen. It was in a level voice that the captain added, "'If you'll escort Miss Bishop aboard my ship, I shall be obliged to you.' I beg that you'll make haste. We are about to scuttle this hulk. He turned slowly to depart. But again Lord Julian interposed. Containing his indignant amazement, his lordship delivered himself coldly. Captain Blood, you disappoint me. I had hopes of great things for you. Go to the devil, said Captain Blood, turning on his heel, and so departed. End of chapter 19 Read by Sandra, in Wales, United Kingdom 
June 2006